Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. Good evening. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Silent Assassin Matt Costa behind the boards. Science Advisor Matt Moniz here as well. Good evening, guys. How are you? What's up, Tim? Not too bad. And uh, we have an action-packed show for you tonight. And our special guest sitting in with us tonight is none other than you know or you love her, the witch Penny Dreadful. How are you tonight? I'm, I'm, I'm very well, thank you, Mr. Jeff. But it's always a pleasure to be here. I, uh, I think that uh, it's definitely extra spooky tonight to have you here with us. Ah, yes, well, you know, it's what I do. It's, it's part of the job. We we walked outside tonight uh, on our way here. I mean, I'd been inside since since this early afternoon. Matt came by to to pick me up. Matt Costa did, and when I walked outside, I was like, "Now this feels like Halloween," and it's it's definitely starting to take on that feel. So, with that in mind, tonight we have a program for you to help you plan your Halloween month. And you know, to to some people, Halloween is just October thirty first. To us, it's an entire state of mind, pretty much from the time that the uh, Summer ends until All Souls Day. I mean, it's really, it's all there. It's one big, it's it's like the 12 days of Christmas to us. It's like the 32 days of Halloween or whatever it is. So we're going to help you plan your whole Halloween month with plenty of exciting events that are coming up. Uh, if you like horror movies, you're going to want to stay tuned. If you like uh, conferences and you like to hear from speakers that have uh, experience in the paranormal, you're going to want to stay tuned. And if you are interested in getting more in tune with the spirits, more in tune with the archangels, more in tune with Quan Yin, which we'll talk about in a little bit, you want to stay tuned as well. So, uh, And, of course, we're also going to be giving away some prizes tonight. How often do we get to do that? How often do we get to give away prizes on Spooky South Coast? Not often. Not often because most people don't want to win, like, a severed head or uh, a, a, you know, a hand with no body attached to Are it. Are you kidding me? That's, like, that's, that's so cool. I mean, how could anybody not want one of those? Well, either that or maybe they just already have them. Oh, that might be uh, the case. that must be it. So tonight we're going to give away some passes. We're going to give away passes to the, the Monster Mash, which is the big conference happening next week. Um, sorry, two weekends from now. And the Massachusetts MUFON Conference as well. And uh, next weekend's Rhode Island International Horror Film Festival. So stay tuned because uh, we're going to come up with some creative ways for you to be able to experience these events. Uh, speaking of experiences... Uh, one of these guys here next to me has plenty of them. Matt Moniz, you were unable to join us last night at the at the Capers Open meeting uh, where we got to meet and talk with last week's guest here on Spooky South Coast, Rosemary Ellen Guiley, but you know, she says hello. Tell her I said hello. I haven't seen her in almost 20 years. She um, gave an excellent presentation last night on the ghosts of Angela Webb. Uh, first of all, I mean, in the... Capers meetings I've been able to attend. This was one of the bigger crowds that I've seen, one of the more informed crowds that I've seen. And I was speaking with uh, Derek Bartlett, the president afterwards, Matt Koss and I were, and uh, we mentioned to him that there seem to be a lot more skeptics in the audience than usual. Usually it's people that are just trying to learn about the paranormal a little bit. And 
there was people actually questioning what Rosemary was talking about. Were you surprised to see that, Matt? Yeah, there's definitely some uh, a lot of skeptics out there. There's some kind of unusual people there too. There were well, the, especially the, with the the psychic vampires yes, guys. There was, and there was one person there touched that touched a bit on Alistair Crowley, which <laughs> was kind of. I was a little bit freaked out by that at first. Out. Hey, here's this guy, you know, nice, 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 normal-looking person, and he's asking questions about how we can attack other people with a psychic vampire, an astral vampire. And I think Rosemary was even taken back a little to bit. Give him the question. benefit of the doubt. He asked more, more like the morality issue of it. Yeah, so. he wanted to know the morality of if you were going to attack somebody. So he, he was. You could tell. He, could, he was just trying to think it out. It's just it's a little bit of an example of, of how sometimes people can judge uh, those who question the paranormal. And as much as we try to be open-minded about it, sometimes we're guilty about it as well. Because, you know, he's talking about wanting to use a psychic vampire, a natural vampire, to, to attack one of his enemies. But we find out afterwards, talking with Derek and Rosemary after the event, that it was actually a matter of he was being attacked and he was looking for means to defend himself. So... But it's, it was just an outstanding presentation, and uh, we highly recommend that you check out some of Rosemary's works if you want to learn a little bit more, visionaryliving.com. We're going to have her on, uh, I think, next month to talk about uh, dreams and dreaming uh, with uh, Jeff Belanger, who wrote the Nightmare Encyclopedia, and as well as a representative from the Lucidity Institute. And also, we're going to talk to her sometime in the future about magic and alchemy. That's her new book, The Encyclopedia of Magic and Alchemy. So check out visionaryliving.com for more information. Also, a uh, couple of other things coming up, which... Uh, do we have a sound effect of, of somebody tooting their own horn? We really should. I don't, I don't know if we do, but... I can find one. We definitely need one, because uh, we're going to just... Throw this out there for everybody that's interested. First of all, uh, the latest issue of SoCo Magazine, The Guide for Living on the South Coast, is out. That's the October 2006 issue. Uh, you've probably seen it all over the South Coast area, free for the taking. It's, uh, it's a big Halloween issue, all about the different uh, haunted things going on uh, around the SoCo area. And there is a story about Spooky South Coast in there as well, so you might want to check that out. Also... Uh, on the night of October 12th, which is uh, a Thursday night, I believe, there is going to be a presentation, Aha Night, at the Pilgrim United Church of Christ uh, on the corners of Purchase and School Streets in downtown New Bedford. You'll see the Aha flag on the outside of the building. They're going to have fall-themed craft for kids from 6.30 to 8.30, and uh, at 7 o'clock, from 7 to about 8.30 or so, uh, spooky South Coast crew, myself, Matt Costa, and Matt Moniz will all be there. We're going to give a presentation on the paranormal. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the different aspects of the paranormal. Well, we want to hear from you uh, some of the things that you've experienced. So if you want to come down, present us any evidence that you may have. Uh, if you'd like to talk with us directly, you don't feel comfortable sharing your experiences uh, over the air, we will be there and available for a Q&A afterward. The event is free, so everybody is welcome to come and take part. Uh, there may be some special guests joining us. I'm going to invite everybody that we've ever gone to see, give a presentation so that we have a little bit of uh, support. Because this is our first foray out there as, as educators instead of just uh, facilitators. So we'll see how that works out. Uh, so please check that out. Uh, October 12th, Aha Night at the Pilgrim United Church of Christ on the corners of Purchase and School Streets in downtown New Bedford. We'll have more information on that coming up next week and also on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. Speaking of things that are coming up, speaking of educating people, 
Penny Dreadful is going to be giving a class at South Coast Learning coming up soon. Yes, that's 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 right. We're going to be uh, doing that uh, on October twenty uh, seventh. Uh, it's got several things coming up, and that's that we're doing that. It's Friday, October 27th, over at the South Coast Learning Network. It's a two-hour class called The History of Horror and Monsters, is what it is. And now you go very far back into that history. You're a couple hundred years old, so... Oh, yes. Well, thank you for being so kind. Yeah. You know, 700 and counting. <laughs> <laughs> well, you don't look a day over 650. Oh, thank you. You're so kind. So, and, and so you've experienced a lot of this history uh, coming along, so you'll be able to offer a lot of first-hand perspective for people. But uh, what, what really is this class uh, going to be? Is it going, are you going to have a multimedia presentation? Are you going to just uh, discuss uh, some of the different aspects of, of horror and pop culture? Oh, sure. We're going to have some of the uh, visual al- element there. I think Luna 13, my, my dear friend from Horror High School, is going to be there running uh, running a projector and showing some, some stills, perhaps showing a couple of film clips. And uh, we're going to be tracing the history of uh, various supernatural beings. And we're going to start you know, with the folklore and then go work our way through to the literature. And then we're going to go into the films and television, so vampires, werewolves, that sort of thing. And let's face Horror is something that has been uh, prevalent for a long time. Uh, a lot of people think that, especially with horror films and, and, and the visual medium, they think that it's, it's something that's relatively new to come in the form. But for years, people were reading stories on it, sharing stories on it. Ghost stories are probably more part of the culture of storytelling through the years than anything else. You guys are missing one point that we're on, radio. That was the biggest storyteller for the past, you know, 50 years before television. But, I mean, even, even so, I mean, horror has been part of all of that. You know, it, there's something basic about our human makeup where you know, we like to be scared to a level where we know it's safe. Right. And everyone's afraid of something. Exactly. And, uh, you know, usually, I'm back, back then... Uh, you know, I was there when the whole horror thing got started. And back then, it was just a couple of us. You know, we were into the whole horror scene. You know, we were we pretty much started at the poxes and the curses and stuff. And everyone was pretty pretty scared, running scared, you know. And they started writing stories about it, telling stories around the campfire, like you say. And mm-hmm. then it, it worked its way through. And it's just, it's been going strong ever since. And it's almost like now with the the more modern stuff and the technology that's evolved in horror filmmaking and some of the just the everyday violence and the everyday horror that we see it's becoming harder and harder to scare people true true yes uh, a lot of a lot of the uh atmosphere in the the uh, old horror films sort of uh, sort of disappeared to some extent because you got to try like you say harder and harder to scare people and uh, but they're still making the Japanese horror movies uh, are the big thing now those mm-hmm. those are those are coming out pretty pretty regularly of course we always have to have the American remake of the Japanese horror well, film for some reason I, I I don't know why but because it, Americans are lazy and they don't want to read subtitles ah, so that's what it is I'm pretty ah, sure I see I see I understand so if people wanted to take this course how could they sign up? Uh, sure, they just go to the uh, South Coast Learning Network uh, website. Uh, I believe it's uh, southcoastlearning.com, I dot, think. Dot org. Dot org. Ah, I see, uh, this internet, this newfangled technology, uh, it, it, it escapes me. Uh, but you, know, you go to that website and you can sign up for the class there. And uh, it should be pretty fun. We're going to have a, we might have
have some fog machines going, you know, and uh, maybe some candles. I don't know if they're going to let us use the candles, but it should be fun uh, sort of class. And Guru will be there as well, of course. I don't, I don't think Dr. Von Bülow is going to be able to make it. I think he's going to be out uh, hunting banshees that night or something, so he's not going to be around. Now, is there a way, in case the moon is full that night, is there a way that you guys can keep Guru under control? Or? Oh, sure. You know, we will just line, uh, line the room with silver. It's perfectly safe, I assure you. There will, there will be no, no uh, pox unleashed upon you. No, no werewolf bites. The, the curse of the wolf will not be upon you that night. I'll see to that. Well, Perhaps. She says so now, but we'll see what happens. And, uh, of course, if you, if you have anything planned for Halloween and you'd like to share it with us, give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, or on the message board at SpookySouthCoast.com. And, of course, you can call in at any time. The lines are always open for us to take your calls about any paranormal activity you've experienced, uh, anything that you might have questions about, any theories that you might have come up with, things that you may have heard. Maybe uh, you got a chance to check out Rosemary's presentation last night in Hyannis and would like to share your thoughts and views. I think that we're probably going to have some new listeners joining us tonight because uh, every time we go to one of these events, we encounter new people that say, wow, you know, a radio show about this kind of stuff. I've been looking for that. So we're here for you. We welcome you to call in. We say hello and, uh, and thank you for joining us. And uh, anything else that you, you guys think of before we jump into all of uh, the things we have to cover tonight? No? All right. Well, definitely uh, stay tuned because, as I said, we're going to be giving away passes for the uh, Mass Monster Mash conference and for the MUFON conference that will be taking place. The Monster Mash is Friday, October 13th, and the MUFON conference is the next night, October 14th. They're both in Watertown, uh, so you want to be able to check those out. Stay tuned. Uh, We're giving away two sets of two passes for that. And also we'll be giving away passes to the Rhode Island International Horror Film Festival, which is uh, just crazy. We have a list here of all the movies that are being shown. We'll get into that a little bit later on with Rick Rebello, the organizer of the event. And, uh, of course, Penny, you're going to be there as well. Yes, we'll be, we'll be lurking about. And, and you just is that what your plan is, to just try to float from film to film and meet all the different fans? Or? Oh, we have some, some different stuff going on. Uh, I think the first couple of nights we're just going to be interviewing some of the, some of the film goers, maybe some of the filmmakers, and uh, getting some, some footage of that perhaps for a later, later fun. And, uh, and on uh, Saturday we're going to be uh, r- uh, running at the dealer table there. We have a sort of a fun table with T-shirts and DVDs and that sort of thing. And then on, uh, on Sunday we're going to be running running the, the uh, kids' uh, uh, show there that they're going to be having. We're going to be uh, giving away prizes, give games, board games, and teddy scares and that sort of thing. <laughs> teddy scares. Yes. And I was looking over the list of films uh, that were on there, and it looks like they have uh, slotted in for some episodes of Shilling Shockers to be aired. Is that what's going on? Oh, I wasn't aware of that. Oh, I see Penny Dreadful. It's a it's a, a film that that shares my name. And oh, okay. uh, initially, I I thought it was uh, actually a film about me, uh, but then later on I found out it wasn't. Uh, so you know, I I did have to break out the old voodoo doll, you know. But uh, you know, we won't You're get too much into that. You're saying it's not like a Paris Hilton video. <clears throat> Perhaps not. Perhaps not. I, I, I don't think so. I have nothing to do with that Paris Hilton. Well, no, no parallels if, whatsoever. If you get a chance, maybe you can just put a small curse on her. Maybe. Oh, I'll see what I just can do. Uh, maybe a little spell to make her fall from yeah. Matt Costa. Oh, yeah. That, that, that'll, be a, that'll be a freebie for sure. Definitely. Set. You're all set? Okay. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we will talk more with uh, Rick Rebello about the Horror Film Festival later on. But uh, getting into the idea of horror movies, uh, especially on television, 
We have some uh, some breaking news. Breaking news. Uh, oh, I think there's I think there's something in the computer now. For AM you. fourteen twenty. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, we do have some breaking news though on that front. Uh, I got a heads up earlier this week from uh, the man known as the Stump. And that is the Creature Double Feature will be returning. Now, Penny, you had a chance to sit down with the the ghoul himself. Yes, yes, I uh, I met with the, the ghoul today. I just taped a, a quick interview with him for the uh, New England Horror Host special we're doing. And Ernie did mention that the Creature Double Feature is coming back. Uh, I guess they're going to be doing some taping on, uh, I think, October 6th, they said. And uh, the Creature Double Feature will be coming back uh, ostensibly on October 28th. Uh, the Saturday before Halloween. Perfect timing. Yes. And uh, one of the films that he he said that they were planning on showing was Night of the Living Dead. So uh, that is uh, definitely something to look forward to. The first the first uh, reincarnation of it coming back turned out really well. Yes. And uh, we were very pleased uh, to have Ernie Bach Jr. join us. He was the... I guess we'll say he is the man behind the ghoul mask. And, and uh, he did a phenomenal job, as did the stump, uh, Iggy. And so we will have them both back on prior to that show, I'm sure, to talk about it. So you want to stay tuned for that. And Ernie sends you his regards. He, he had a great time talking to you when he was over here. I keep meaning to, uh, to catch up with him, but uh, you know, he's, he's kind of a busy man between yes. playing horror host and filming commercials. And Man, I wish I had his life. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, there you have it. The return of Creature Double Feature, tentatively scheduled for October 28th. We'll have all the information for you here on Spooky South Coast, so stay tuned. I'm sure the Creature Double Feature message board is, is totally a buzz. I've never seen a, a more dedicated group of fans to something that they hadn't seen in 20 years. You know, I mean, even those Dark Shadows message boards and all these other, they at least have the opportunity to share DVDs and tapes that they've uh, acquired over the years. But these Creature Double Feature fans are working mostly from memory. Right. So what they've been able to recreate is incredible. So uh, we will take a quick break here on Spooky South Coast. On the other side, we will talk to Marjorie Musaccio, who is a channeler, and she deals with Quan Yin and the Archangels. She's going to be holding a couple of uh, sessions at Crystal Expectations on 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford. Uh, and if you would like to get involved in those, stay tuned, because we'll tell you how you can get in touch with the, the Kuan Yin goddess and as well as work with the Archangels to make your life better. So stay tuned here on Spooky South Coast. Crystal Expectations is an extraordinary experience. Crystal Expectations has books, jewelry, candles, incense, oils, CDs, tarot decks, religious and fantasy statues, and cultural items from around the world. Crystal Expectations offers a wide variety of services including Reiki, Kuan Yin, magnified healing, and meditation. Do you want to find out the influences in your life and what the future holds for you? Call to schedule a tarot or Hindu astrology reading. Crystal Expectations Knowledge staff has over 40 years experience in a wide variety of spiritual disciplines. They can provide instruction in spiritual cleansing for yourself and techniques to reduce negative influences in your life. Crystal Expectations is located at 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford, serving those interested in the paranormal and spiritual for over 18 years. 508-990-7898 or visit crystalexpectations.net. You can also email them at crystalx at Verizon Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. There is a war going on. And is your heart black and full of 
an angel. What are you talking about? In angels of light and dark. Black as midnight, black as Four horses of the apocalypse. Blacker than the foulest witch. Something is always happening, but when it happens, people don't always see it. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Matt Costa has excellent production work yet again. And uh, Silent Assassin is available for uh, bookings, for parties. Uh, he'll <laughs> Can you do that? Do you think you could do that on the fly? No? Sure. Why not? All right. He'd give it a try. And, of course, science advisor Matt Moniz here as well, as well as our special guest co-host for tonight, the witch Penny Dreadful. And we actually are going to transform a little bit right now from spooky South Coast more into spiritual South Coast because we are going to talk with Marjorie Masakio, who is a channeler and, and who works with Kuan Yin and the Archangels as well. She's going to be giving a couple of workshops at Crystal Expectations here in New Bedford. Again, that's 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford. And if you'd like to get involved with any of these, call CJ over there at 508-990-7898. We'll give that information out a few more times during the show. And, of course, it'll also be up on our website, SpookySouthCoast.com. So, uh, good evening, Marjorie. How are you? Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Good evening. I'm good, thank you. Thanks for calling. And, you know, we're not really too um, too in tune with a lot of the, the channeling uh, that you do. Uh, to me, this is all new, uh, the, the idea of Kuan Yin. What exactly is Kuan Yin? Well, Kuan Yin is the name of an energy that is mostly known in the Orient as the mother of mercy and compassion. She is Buddhist in nature and not a person. It's a collective energy that has been available on the planet since before the times of Jesus. Uh, she's also known as the feminine component of Buddha. Many of the Oriental people, they treat her as uh, Christians would treat uh, Mother Mary. So it has that almost like maternal force? It does. It does. A creative force is how we would look at that. And is this something that, uh, I know that you're going to have a workshop where you teach people how to get in tune and to, and to utilize Kuan Yin, but is this something that would otherwise be available to people if they don't know how to tune into it? I mean, are there people that are just naturally tuned? You know, if you look at some of these other life forces that people focus on, you know, people say they're born with a connection to it. Can you be born with a connection to Kuan Yin? I think you can be born to connection with Kuan Yin, and I don't know if I was or not, because I was definitely over 45 before I let it register in my life. <laughs> and, and how did that come about, actually? It came about, um, I was working in a bookstore, uh, actually Pyramid Books over in Rhode Island. I'm from uh, New York and raised my children in Massachusetts, but I'm talking to you from San Diego tonight. Well, that's because you got out when you could. <laughs> <laughs> well, part of that has to do with uh, what I do was very uh, different for what was accepted in the New Bedford area 10, Unfortunately, years that ago. is true. Yeah, but that was 10 or 15 years ago, so the receptivity has changed immensely. Um, of course, Crystal Expectations being a big part yeah. of that, too. <laughs> they, they're wonderful over there. Um, the way it happened for me was that I'm, I've always been interested in health and healing, and um, I've been interested in alternative health and healing. 
um, went back to school for my master's degree and uh, in holistic education. When I got out of school, my roommate from um, the first time I had gone to college called me, and she said that her daughter had brain cancer. She had been to the hospitals in Boston, and they had sent her home to basically die and because they didn't have any answers. And she said, did I know anything alternative? And I said, well, I certainly didn't know a whole lot, but we could look together. And when we did that in a cancer support group up near Boston, she heard about a gentleman whose name uh, is Theodore Virgil, and he was an attorney, a criminal lawyer in New York City when Spirit started talking to him. And he became able to allow the master energy to come through him. So we went up there, and within six months, um, the young girl's cancer, brain cancer had um, receded, had diminished, had disappeared. And I then knew that there was something I really, really wanted to get more acquainted with. So I spent about six years with him. And once I did that, I became open to other energies and the Ascended Masters and the Archangels. Uh, that's namely what I was uh, interested in because there's a lot of information that comes off the other planes to assist us. And in opening to that, life gets a little more interesting, I think, and totally easy when you can really access that part of yourself it's like the angels is like the masters, and this healing begins in a different way. Now, what would be the difference between the ascended masters and an archangel? Okay, an ascended master is a being that has been on the planet, has learned their lessons. We can talk about St. Francis, for instance. Mm -hmm. uh, St. Francis, most people know the story of St. Francis, how he suffered, how tough his life was. And when he passed on, he, he had become enlightened, so to speak, or was also capable of ascending into a higher consciousness. And once um, beings, or we, get to the point where we really know our own divine nature, we can go beyond this reality and, after death, access that part of ourselves that is infinite and eternal. And so we take St. Francis, for instance, existence for an example um, his ascended master name is Master Katumi and he can still appear and does appear to people around the planet. I was fortunate enough to uh, be on Mount Shasta this summer and had that experience. It was wonderful so an ascended master is a being who has lived a life on the planet and has reached a certain amount of uh, uh, you know the ultimate awareness the ultimate enlightenment and gone beyond and serves from another dimension back to us. Whereas an archangel is an energy coming straight from the thought but feelings of the God source. And I know we're going to touch a few buttons in the New Bedford area about that, but God source being all that is created, everything that is created on the planet. And those radiations of energy, of knowing, of inspiration are very strong and they radiate in color, they radiate in uh, sound tones as far as music goes. There's a lot of different ways to tap into an archangel's energy. And they're very available especially for the heart, for compassion, for people that are seeking truth, for people, people that are seeking healing, peace, um, you know, and people that are looking for purification and deep answers. And so it's an energy that has never been in a body, has never been a person. 
but is available to us. And, and one thing that we will point out, you did point out there that uh, you may touch a few buttons uh, in this discussion. And one thing that we do want to point out is, even though we are presenting uh, views that may be different than what people have traditionally accepted in this area, we are in no means uh, uh, choosing sides or, or, or picking one over the other, saying you know anything's right or wrong. So we just want people to understand that that we are not uh, in any way trying to disparage any other religions. Right. And, uh, this, so, this really doesn't have a whole lot to do with religion from exactly, my point of view. Exactly. It's, 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 it's more of a, a personal spiritual journey than it is you know, a, a way of, of living your life with. I'm sorry, Mecca. Or a belief system of sorts. Yeah. And now, uh, working with Kuan Yin, you actually channel the, the energy of Kuan Yin. Uh, how does that happen? That's a really interesting question. Um, the way she came to me was through a woman, a very lovely woman, whom I did not know, and but she was a meditator. She had been meditating for years, and I hadn't even heard really the word meditate except, you know, transcendental meditation. It was a very strange term to me. They were talking about uh, 1988, 89, 90 in there. Um, and um, I had met her in a bookstore at Pyramid Books, actually, and she she called me and she said, you know, I was meditating and an energy keeps coming in that says it wants to talk to you. So we're talking in the realm of, you know, if some people go to tarot readers and to psychics and that information comes from somewhere and this information is coming from somewhere. So she came over and we sat together and I really wasn't, you know, I wasn't familiar at all. So I called in all the archangels because I was familiar with them. <laughs> protection you know and it's like well whatever this is we'll you know we'll go through it and as the woman went into meditation a voice came from her and it began to talk to me and i never thought that would happen i wish i had gotten a tape recorder um and information came through to me which i did not believe and um basically kuan yin spoke through her and she's very pleasant and very it's kind of like an auntie you know a very wise auntie kind of information and um she laughed and she said we know you don't believe us and um it's it's just just the way it went at that particular point in time but two years later um i had met another woman who asked me about kuan yin and that triggered my memory patterns so that i kept digging into my the archives of my mind saying kuan yin kuan yin kuan yin and the information just started to come and I had spent six years with my teacher, Theodore Virgil, and he was able to access the Ascended Masters, and Kuan Yin is an Ascended Master. So he was able to access them, and um, I was used to hearing him bring information through. Uh, but this wasn't anything like that. This was really different, and so I just I pushed it away for two to three years because I wasn't interested. I didn't. I didn't know it. I wasn't familiar with it. I didn't really have much to do with it. But year after year, people would ask me questions, kind of like tap me on the shoulder. And pretty soon, you know, she was, if I close my eyes and I look up into my third eye, what I see is, um, you know the NBC peacock? Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, it's an array of colors that go through my third eye. And each master, each archangel have colors. And one by one, the colors will illuminate, get stronger, and I can sense which master or which archangel is there to give a message. And uh, Kuan Yin's colors are ruby and gold. 
And uh, so when the ruby and gold started to show up in my third eye, I was like, oh, this is really interesting. <laughs> but it took another couple years before I would give messages because I'd, say, I'd stretch and say, I, I think something's trying to tell me something, you know. One day it just clicked over into when I opened my mouth, the words just started coming out. And that was due to the fact that my teacher had really worked with me to say, you can do this, because I had spent six years with him, and he said, you can do this. Now, Theodore was a very amazing human being. Um, he had a stroke six and a half years before he died, and he didn't eat from the time he had the stroke, and he was still working with people. He was wow. stomach tube fed, still working with people and healing people until almost the day he passed over. It's, it's almost like his healing work was helping him to stay. Yes. And, he and, called it his purification. <laughs> no, exactly. No. And on the, on Tuesday, uh, October tenth at seven thirty at Crystal Expectations, uh, you're going to be doing a Kuan Yin session there. Now, yes. is, is this session where you would channel Kuan Yin, and, and people who take part in this uh, workshop can can discuss their you know, whatever it is that they have questions or what they want to learn more about with Kuan Yin? Is that yes? That's that's generally how it happens. I'll tune in, and uh, we'll take the names of all the people that are in the group put that into the ethers, so to speak, and um, the master energy has some way that they um, make that all coherent and the information starts to come through. In the beginning, it's a general message, but it does speak to everyone in the room in some way, which will elicit questions from those people. Some people like to ask really personal questions, and because spiritual um, information is out of time and space, they don't know what time is, and they also do not know what it is like to have an ego that might get offended. So the answers that come through <laughs> are pretty um, pretty straight on, and so we just recommend to people, you know, don't ask a deep question you might not want anybody else to hear the answer to. There's, there's no radio filters for calling. That's right. <laughs> and now, when people do uh, take part in this, do you find that the sessions do get very intense and personal? Is that, is that generally how it goes? They can get. Um, they get intense, I'll say that, because the information is very strong. You know, there's a lot of changes going on in this planet. There's so many things to talk about. But we're coming up to the year 2012, and the Mayan calendar has very, very appropriately um, singled out this particular next six years as the most intense that has ever been spent on the planet of Earth. And that means that the consciousness in people's lives is going to be changing. Uh, their ideas, their ideals will be changing. Their preferences can be changing. So much will change about people that it's going to be difficult on some levels, and it's also going to be very trying for people that are attached to a particular way of life, attached to a particular way of relationship, attached to particular ways of being. So there's a lot of stretching that's going to be needing to happen for people in the next bunch of years. Probably a lot of people are experiencing that already, you know. And so if people would like to take part in the Kuan Yin uh, session, you can contact Crystal Expectations, 508-990-7898, I'm sorry. And uh, I believe it's uh, crystalexpectations.net. Uh, for more information there. And that will be Tuesday, October 10th, 7.30 p.m. The cost is $25. And now you said everybody's going to be able to put their name out there and, and to see if they can connect with, with Kuan Yin. Oh, of course. That's the object here. 
And will you also, uh, are there books available uh, that you know yeah. of at the store as well? It's so, it's so interesting how all that has happened. Now, I want to mention Craig Howell. Craig Howell is my very dear friend, and he's also my webmaster. We have a website, and it's called myquanyin.com, and that's spelled with a K-W-A-N-Y-I-N. Well, we'll have links up on SpookySouthCoast.com right. as well. And... and Craig has um, been webmaster, but he was also my really good friend in those days. He's a wonderful musician, and he's my good friend still. But (laughs) he started to uh, receive information, or I'd do channelings for him, and he recorded them. And Spirit had said to me, he said, well, there's going to be two books at one point early on. And I said, nah, I don't know how to write books. Well, Craig did not know that and had kept almost 10 years' worth of um, audio tapes. And one day he called me and says, you know, I've been re-listening to those. There's a lot of information. So he has written very beautifully and transcribed channeling messages for over 10 years. He asked questions, the likes of which are unbelievable. So much information in that book. It's called uh, Through the Eyes of Kuan Yin. That's one book. And then the next book is uh, A Flower Unfolds, which is a small book of beautiful, beautiful quotes that Kuan Yin uses all the time and beautiful artwork that um, people have donated from all around the world, pen and ink artwork, beautiful. And now we have a line of uh, cards, you know, inspirational all-occasion cards. There's uh, a CD that is Kuan Yin Consciousness, and it's um, meditation that lasts about 30 minutes. It's very beautiful and takes one through the clearing of the chakras and the findings of the colors in their energy body. And Craig has made a beautiful CD because Kuan Yin recommends prayer. She recommends contemplation. She recommends meditation for at least 20 minutes in the morning and 20 minutes at night. And he said, I don't know how to do that really well, except he knew how to put music together. So he made two beautiful, beautiful on one CD pieces of music that help people stick to it. (laughs) So those are some of the things that we have. And then, of course, on Saturday, you're going to be uh, having a different workshop. Now, that is going to be communicating. Uh, it's, it's called an Archangel Intensive. Yes. What, what, is, what does that involve? Okay. Um, a lot of people are familiar that they have an energy body. Um, the energy body has within it um, vortexes, and uh, they're called chakras in the um, uh, Eastern culture. Uh, vortexes, spinning energy wheels, um, they are an alignment of our body into the spiritual world that we just plain can't see except for clairvoyance. And the archangels are the ones that we mostly hear about, starting with, with Michael, who's you know just always present for us and helping us to get through these hard times. And Gabriel and Jophiel and Chamuel, um, Ariel, uh, Zadkiel, and there's one more that I've just skipped over. And I can't... Ariel. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's why we keep them around, you know. Thank you so much. I love that voice coming down from heaven. <laughs> it did sound a little bit like the Metatron. Didn't it? Like, thank you. Um, so that was, um, and they have each have a special color, a special tone, a special vibration, a special day they tune in, a special quality. They have special ways they like to uh, help people, and um, it's just fascinating to find that all out and then find out that you can tune into that and absolutely use it. 
and that event will be on Saturday, October 14th from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m. The fee for that event is $75, but you do get $10 off if you've attended the group channeling on Tuesday. So uh, remember, you can get more information at crystalexpectations.net. You can email uh, Gary Gomes over there, gary at crystalexpectations.net. And, of course, you can always find out more information on myquanian.com. Now, the first time that you channeled the Arch- the archangels, I mean, the, the first time that you were uh, were in tune with them, just what must that have been like? I mean, I can't imagine. I mean, that's got to be the one time that you realize that you know our understanding of everything that goes on is so small and so minute. It was pretty amazing. I cried. You know, what does any self-respecting woman do when she's overwhelmed? She cries, <laughs> and um, it was pretty darn amazing. Um, the first time I was ever able to do that was up in New Hampshire at the sanctuary up there. When you're in a place that feels very safe, the energy is very clear, you know, rarefied, so to speak, these things happen a lot more easily, at least for me, than they do in downtown New York. You know? <laughs> um, and it's a very beautiful, heart-opening, heart-warming feeling. And um, I don't know what else I can say about that. Well, it- What's I mean, when you bring people in, what is the common reaction from them uh, in, in the course of this workshop? Uh, do you find that there are people that don't believe? Are there people that uh, are skeptical about it? Or is everybody ready to be in that state where they're ready to make that connection? Pretty much. The Archangel workshops are always full of people that have had already some sort of a connection with one of the Archangels or two or three or something of an angelic nature. They're already in tune. And when they do come in and they do have that open-mindedness, do you think it's because there's something that they need? Is, is it definitely these are people that are coming in uh, with a spiritual hole? With a spiritual hole? No, I wouldn't say that. I would say that these are people that have a lot of faith, mm-hmm. that people um, really want to know about what it is that's good in this world and what it is that you can um, hope not hold on to, but what it is you can look to for guidance, for higher spiritual awareness, for um, protection. And that's what Archangel Michael's job is. It is protection. And if anybody else has any questions for Marjorie, uh, please feel free to give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500 as well uh, for Wareham and the Cape. And when people do come into this to this, these courses, um, do you keep in contact with them uh, as they start the progression of their journey of knowledge here? There are some. It depends on how, how local we are. But now I'm just learning how to use a computer, so those <laughs> things can happen a little more readily. It is a, it is a huge uh, ability to be able to, when you experience uh, something like this, to be able to relate to other people and with the different websites and message boards and, and chat rooms that are out there. Uh, to be able to share some of these experiences. Or, I mean, it's the same thing that we talk about all the time uh, in terms of the paranormal. It's so many people don't understand it until there's a community of people that can all share it and talk about it openly. And a lot of that is, is because of the fear body that exists around being outside what we quote-unquote call normal. Um, many people just can't allow themselves to accept that there's a part of themselves that's larger than what they can see, feel. Do you, do you find that uh, people's religious upbringings uh, can be uh, kind of a hindrance to this kind of work? Well, it certainly does change their viewpoint. Um, and 
you know, the Chris, when the first time Kuan Yin came to me, I said to her, I said, look at me. What are you coming to me? I'm, I'm quite blonde and I'm very, I'm Christian, you know, and um, actually Quaker is the <laughs> nature of what it is I've believed in for a long time. And I just couldn't believe that she would show herself to me. I said, why? Why, why are you coming to me? Look at me. And uh, she very beautifully said, she said, the time will come, my dear when East and West will have to forget all of their differences. And, and that, that time seems to be yeah. quickly coming upon us. Uh-huh. So now, again, if, if anybody would like to take part in these workshops, uh, the, the first one will be on Tuesday, October 10th, 7.30 p.m. for a fee of $25. You can uh, experience the Kuan Yin session with Marjorie. And then on Saturday, October 14th, from 10 a.m. to 4 p.m., uh, it's $75 for the uh, Archangel Intensive, but there's $10 off if you have attended the group channeling on Tuesday. And if you would like to book your slot, you can call Crystal Expectations, located at 854 Brock Avenue in New Bedford. Their number is 508-990-7898. And, of course, if you want to get involved and, and you're, you're traveling in the car and, and you don't have a chance to write all this down, SpookySouthCoast.com. We will have all the links up there tomorrow. And uh, you can also email me, Tim, at SpookySouthCoast.com. I'll pass your information along as well. Uh, now, do you find that these uh, events usually work? work better in large groups? Because I know that you do private one-on-one sessions if people would be interested that way. I do. Large groups are fine. Um, it's, it's always just perfect. I have, you know, I have nothing but amazement for how these things work out. Um, and during the group on Saturday, um, each person has a frequency. I'm going to we talk in terms of radio station maybe, you know, you turn the dial to one place and it's one station and another one it's WBSM, right? Well, so there are no other stations as, as far as we know. Right. Just WBSM. Uh, right. Well, <laughs> and fun 107. <laughs> so uh, when I tune in um, and the person is with me, I can very often most of the time if I ask for assistance from the angelic realm see what frequency they've come into the planet on, which means which archangel is working with them and is aligning with them the most, what they're trying to learn in this life cycle, uh, what it is that all of this is about, and perhaps answer some questions about uh, what the soul is trying to communicate at this time. So we, we like to do a little bit of that in the workshop. And so, and if people would be uh, interested in learning more, they can visit your website at mykwanyin.com. That's M-Y-K-W-A-N-Y-I-N.com. Okay. And and as you said, as you're becoming more computer proficient, maybe uh, maybe <laughs> online uh, sessions are in the works. Well, we're on. We have um, maybe uh, in whatever you'd call it when you on the telephone and you talk back and forth and mm-hmm. have a channeling session. I don't know what, quite what you call that. If Craig was on here, he'd know. Um, Telechanneling. How's that? Yeah, Does that work. <laughs> that's good. Um, so we're we're planning on that, and uh, we have on the website once a month we have a message that comes from the ascended masters, mostly Kuan Yin, sometimes Kutumi, which is Saint Francis, and um, those are for free. We just tune in and listen. All right. Well, we thank you for joining us, Marjorie. Thank you so much. And hopefully our listeners will uh, come down to Crystal Expectations and and check out those workshops. And, of course, if anybody does, we'd love to hear back from you. Okay. Uh, And uh, and please, any time that you have any messages for us from the Ascended Masses, we are willing to listen, believe me. Okay. We need all the help we can get. (laughs) 
Thanks a lot, Tim. Thank you for joining us. Okay, good night. Good night. That is Marjorie Masakio, who will be handling uh, the workshops at Crystal Expectations on October 10th and on October 14th. Uh, remember, visit SpookySouthCoast.com if you would like more information about that, or you can visit the Crystal Expectations website at CrystalExpectations.net. Uh, also, uh, don't forget, coming up in hour number two of Spooky South Coast, we're going to be talking to John Horrigan, the organizer of the Mass Monster Mash Conference and the MUFON Conference that are happening on October 13th and 14th in Watertown. We're also going to be giving away some passes for those events, uh, as well as we'll be speaking with Rick Ribello, the organizer of the Rhode Island Horror Film Festival, and we'll be giving away some passes to that as well. So you want to stay tuned because it's not often that we give you the chance to win something here on Spooky South Coast. You know, except we're trying to win your hearts. Ah. Well, it's not. It's you got to be nice sometimes too. We can't always be spooky, and uh, that's why I think it's important uh, to take into account some of the spiritual stuff. And again, we apologize if if anybody felt that that was offensive toward their religious beliefs. I do not think that it is offensive. I think that uh, in order to be in tune with yourself, you need to be able to look deeper beyond just uh, what you believe, and that's how you can fortify your own beliefs. Stay tuned for our number two Spooky South Coast action-packed right here on WBSM. I'm knitting myself a hat and I'm sewing up a head to wear it on. I'm making myself some mittens. And I'm stitching my fingers together to keep them warm inside. I'm knitting myself a sweater to cover the body I'm wearing. Knitting! 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 You asked for it, you got it. And this is Spooky South Coast, Volume 2. I can smell the I'm not afraid. You Two of Spooky South Coast. Thanks for joining us tonight on the, I guess we could call this uh, the eve of the Halloween season since tomorrow would be October 1st and all the festivities get underway. That's what we are talking to you about tonight. Uh, if you would like to join in the discussion, 508-996-0500, 508-2910-500 to get in touch with us. Uh, again, just to remind you, in case you missed it at the top of the program, on October 12th, 
Thursday night, October 12th, the Spooky Crew, Matt Costa, Matt Moniz, and myself, will be presenting uh, the Paranormal at the Pilgrim United Church of Christ as part of the AHA program. That is on the corner of Purchase Street and the corner of School Street in downtown New Bedford. Look for the AHA flag outside the building. They will have fall-themed craft for the kids from 6.30 to 8.30, and Spooky South Coast will start their discussion at about 7 o'clock to about 8.30 or so. The event is free. We will have question and answer period. Uh, We will also be able to look over any evidence you might want to show us. Uh, We'll be able to get you in touch with paranormal groups uh, in the area. If you have a haunting uh, going on and you'd like to have a group come in and investigate and you don't feel comfortable calling up over the show or you want to talk with us one-on-one, we'll be there for all of that. And as well as you know, presenting just an overview of the different aspects of the paranormal not only in this area, but in general. Does that sound good to you, Matt? We haven't really talked about the uh, the syllabus yet for the for the presentation, but I think that we want to be able to answer people's questions and, and really fill them in on what's going on. Yeah, a good general overview of the paranormal as a whole. Yeah. And, and folks, I, I can tell you, Matt Moniz is extremely excited about this opportunity because he's been waiting for a chance to get out and share some of his knowledge with people and to, to teach what he has been able to learn. So it, it's going to be a real treat, and again, it's free, so you might as well come by and check it out. Even if you're a skeptic, we welcome that. We want you to come in and uh, we'll tell you our side of things as as long as it doesn't turn ugly. (laughs) Shouldn't be bad. (laughs) Because it isn't a church, so we have to be on our best behavior. All right, and then, uh, of course, uh, we will also, in a little while, be talking with John Horrigan, the uh, organizer of the Massachusetts Monster Mash Conference, as well as the Massachusetts MUFON Conference, coming up October 13th and 14th. And we will talk to Rick Rebello, who is the organizer of the Rhode Island International Horror Film Festival. And, of course, we have Penny Dreadful with us here tonight. She's going to be there. And uh, th- now, are you guys uh, planning to you know, take any victims home with you from this? Uh? We can only hope. Okay. Really. <laughs> well, one person that's going to be there that you, uh, you might want to, because he's got a young one coming, so you might want to go easy on him, is uh, Brian Harnois from Ghost Hunters and, and Taps. He's going to be at the film festival. So. Ah, good, good. And you can send him our personal congratulations for the impending little ghost hunter. I shall do so. And, uh, you know, and if... if Guru bites him, then that's just how it goes. Well, it, it could happen. It could. Ha- he gets frisky at these these festivals, you know, because it's a festival. It's festive, and his idea of being festive is just biting people. You yeah, know. We- Wheezy runs into haunted houses, and he goes up against the demonic. He understands the risks involved. Ah, I see. I see. And and of course, uh, if if you would like to chime in with anything that you know that's going on uh, in the Halloween month, uh, please give us a call five zero eight nine nine six zero five hundred five zero eight two nine one zero five hundred. I know a lot of these civic organizations put on uh, haunted houses, haunted hayrides, uh, you know, to benefit towns, to benefit schools. So if there's anything like that you'd like to mention, you can either give us a call tonight or get in touch with us during the week. Uh, shoot me an email, Tim at SpookySouthCoast.com, and we'll make sure that we mention it. But right now, we're going to mention a little something we like to call The Week in Weird. And leading off The Week in Weird this week, you know, we talk a lot about shadow people here on Spooky South Coast. And for those who don't know what they are, they are those people that you sometimes see out of the corner of your eye that seem to be following you, or maybe the shadowy figure that's hovering over your bed when you wake up in the middle of the night. 
Well, according to Cosmos Online's Erica Harrison, scientists have actually discovered a shadow person. Uh, in Sydney, Australia, have you ever felt as though you're being followed, as if someone is behind you, shadowing your every move? It might be your shadow person, created by an unusual activity in a specific brain region, a new study shows. The paper published in the British journal Nature describes the case of a 22-year-old woman with no history of psychiatric problems who is being evaluated for treatment of epilepsy. When a region of her brain called the left temporal... Uh, Matt, I'm going to butcher that. I don't know if you can help me out there. Temp- temporal. Okay. Junction was electrically stimulated. The woman described encounters with a, quote, shadow person who mimicked her bodily movements. Electrical stimulation repeatedly produced a feeling of the presence of another person in her extrapersonal space, said Olaf Blanc, co-author of the study, conducted by a team of researchers from the University Hospital in Geneva, Switzerland. When the patient was lying down, stimulation of this brain region caused her to feel that someone was behind her. She described the person as young, of indeterminate sex, quote, a shadow who did not speak or move, and whose position beneath her back was identical to her own, according to the researchers. When the patient sat up, leaned forward, and clasped her her knees, she felt that the figure was also sitting, embracing her in its arms, a feeling she described as unpleasant. During a language task in which the seated patient held a card in her right hand, she described the person sitting next to her and trying to interfere with the task. He wants to take the card. He doesn't want me to read, she said. Because it was possible to induce the sensation repeatedly, and because the shadow person closely mimicked the patient's posture and movements, the researchers concluded that the patient was experiencing a perception of her own body. The strange sensation that somebody is nearby when no one is actually present has been described by psychiatric and neurological patients as well as by healthy subjects, said Blanc. Until now, however, it was not understood how the illusion was triggered in the brain. The tempor- per- per- <laughs> That junction is known to be involved in creating the concept of self and the distinction between self and other. According to the researchers, stimulation of this region interfered with the patient's ability to integrate information about her own body, leading to the experience of the shadow person. Now, I don't know if I buy into that. If, if shadow people are really this, I don't want to say great conspiracy uh, amongst the unknown, something that's happening on a paranormal plane, is it possible that there was a shadow person just messing around in, in this study? Or is this uh, is this something that maybe we can start to explain away this phenomenon a little bit? What do you think, Matt Moniz? Well, if they're saying that this action is uh, a result of something in, happening in a temp- temporal parietal area, the parietal lobe. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> that, that is one of the areas that controls sensation of, in the brain. So uh, that would medically make sense to me. Does it explain all shadow people encounters? Uh, no. Not at all. Well, uh, you have a story for us that's a little bit more grounded in reality, but couldn't be any further from the ground, as it turns out. Yeah. This comes from BBC. Uh, Sir Richard Branson has unveiled a mock-up of the rocket-powered vehicle that will carry clients into space through his Virgin Galactic business. The Virgin spaceships are designed to carry six passengers and two pilots in to an altitude of about 140 kilometers on a suborbital space flight. Tickets on a Virgin Galactic flight are expected to cost $190,000. The mock-up of the spacecraft was unveiled at the Javidus Exhibition Center in New York on Thursday. The Virgin craft 
are based on the designs of Spaceship One built by aviation pioneer Bert Rutan, which became the first privately built vehicle to reach space in 2004. Spaceship One made three flights to altitudes just greater than 100 uh, kilometers, the edge of the Earth's atmosphere, claiming the prestigious X Prize. The rocket plane was first carried to a launch altitude of 50,000 feet by an aircraft or mothership called White Knight. It is then released and ignited its rocket engine, which propelled it through the atmosphere. The $10 million XPRIZE was offered to the first non-government manned flight into space. Virgin Group has contracted Rutan's company, uh, Scaled Composites, to design and build the passenger spacecraft and its mothership. Virgin Galactic will own and operate at least five spaceships and two motherships. The passenger flights, which could begin in 2009, will take off from a $225 million facility called Spaceport America in the New Mexico desert. Will Whitenhorn, president of Virgin Galactic, said the firm was in negotiations over a reality TV show. Of course they are. Of course. In the show, contestants would compete to win a place on a space flight, uh, the Press Association reported. Mr. Whitehorn said, the indications are that we are that we can create a show that would give people the chance to go into space. It would be a cross between Doctor Who, Star Trek, and the Krypton Factor. Virgin Galactic is one of several private firms vying to open a public access to space. First contestant on that reality show, Lance Bass from NSYNC. No, seriously, that guy's been trying to go into space for like 10 years now. He's been in space as far as I'm concerned since the early 90s. Whoa, whoa, let's be polite. Some people like pop music. The uh, Also, the other thing that's interesting about that is I wonder if, while they're up there, if they can put a few more satellites so that your virgin, you know, cell, cell phone technology will work up there, too. Because... Richard Branson already owns enough on Earth that now I can see him making that move into space. But for, that's that's really cheap money too, by the way, one hundred ninety thousand dollars. Comparative to some of the others, S- some yeah. of the, I believe it was the the Russian uh, private firm that was trying to get up forty there. million. Exactly. So to get up there for that cheap of a price, now th- this is the similar like the slingshot thing, like they're building up in out in Arizona, right? Where it's they really just they just want to get you up into space. And then come back down again. You're not really going to be able to. You're, it's hang just, out. what's known as a suborbital flight. You'll pass beyond 50 miles up, which is the, the edge of the outer atmosphere for Earth. To achieve actual orbit, you need to get beyond 100 miles. The average uh, shuttle flight is from 100 miles to 200 miles up. Anything below that, you generally will start to fall back towards Earth. Okay, so if anybody uh, would like to go on that flight. We will forward all checks to Richard Branson. Just send them to us. It's spooky. No, just kidding. All right, Matt Costa, what do you have for us? The story comes from the Associated Press and brought to my attention by Deb on the message board at SpookySouthCoast.com. A man in Brazil is looking to break the, a record for eye popping. Claudio Pinto can pop his eyeballs out of his sockets at least 7 millimeters, which is is a national record for eye-popping, according to Rank Brazil, an organization modeled after Guinness Book of World Records that lists only Brazilian records. 
Pinto had his eyes measured this past January by an ophthalmologist on television. The, me- the measurement was 7 millimeters. Since then, Pinto says his capacities have improved by 50%. Per- 50%. Pinto's ability is called globe luxation. And doctors say it can strain blood vessels and nerves between the eyes and the head and feels unpleasant, but usually doesn't cause lasting damage. Pinto says he's been luxing his globe since he was nine years old, and it doesn't hurt a bit. The title of furthest eye popper in the Guinness Book of World Records currently belongs to Kim Goodman of Chicago, who can, who can pop her eyeballs 11 millimeters out of her sockets. No word on whether Claudio will challenge the Guinness World Record yet. Oh. And Penny, do you have a story? I do. I have a story here. This is this is this is a doozy. A woman sunbathing on the Isle of Wight in the United Kingdom had a narrow escape when a cow fell 50 feet off a cliff to its death. Oh, poor thing, landing where she had been sunbathing just moments earlier. Uh, 51-year-old Sally Brown of Cows, England, had uh, just picked up her bodyboard when she heard a loud noise as the animal hurtled down the cliff. Jane Phillips of Compton Farm, who is the owner of the cow, apologized and said, uh, quote, It doesn't bear thinking about what would have happened if it had landed on her. Her husband, Dan Phillips, covered the dead cow with a canvas until it could be moved at low tide. No word from officials on a possible motive for the jumper cow. It was said that the cow seemed to be of sound mind earlier in the day, and no suicide note was found. Uh, The possibility of foul play uh, may have been a factor, but when asked, the chickens on the farm had no comment. And that's from the Associated Press. (laughs) Uh, it yes. sounds so much more horrifying when you say it. Yes, well, thank you. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's common. I was, I was hoping that, that, that we might have a cow sound effect while I was reading that. I, was, I, was, I almost did it myself, but then you know, that, would, that would have been kind of scary, though. I'm sure Moniz does a killer cow impersonation. Did you do a, a cow sound effect? There we go. That, that, was, that was pretty awesome, man. That was pretty good. There's actually cows uh, all around the South Coast tipping over right now as they hear that on their own. <laughs> All right, well, that is the uh, the Week and Weird uh, for this week. Now, I'm sure the stories are going to get weirder as we get closer to Halloween. If you have any you'd like to share with us, just check in on our message board, the Week and Weird thread at SpookySouthCoast.com. We'll be right back in a few minutes with Rick Rebello, the organizer of the Rhode Island International Horror Film Festival. And then later on, we will be joined by John Horrigan, who is the organizer of the Mass Monster Mash Conference. So stay tuned here on Spooky South Coast. Turn on all your lights, lock the doors, and pull down the shades. Spooky South Coast is back. I 
Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here. Matt Costa, the silent assassin, is with us. Science advisor Matt Moniz here as well. And special guest host for tonight, Penny Dreadful. And we are going to be talking about some place where you can actually meet Penny Dreadful. Uh, usually you don't want to do that. If you see her coming, you want to walk the other way because uh, <laughs> it could spell bad news for you. Hey, you know, it could. Boils, pestilence, origami. It's all, it's all there. Origami. Waiting for you. The evil, sinister art of Japanese paper folding. Okay, well, we are going to right now tell you about something very unique in this area and something very exciting. Uh, it creeps, cackles, chops, and spooks. You'll find it at the 7th Annual Rhode Island International Horror Film Festival taking place October 5th through the 8th. And joining us right now is the organizer for that festival, Rick Rebello. How are you tonight, Rick? Hello. Hi. How are you? You must be very excited here with uh, this festival coming up. It sounds amazing. Oh, yes, and uh, my mistress of the macabre is down there spinning her web on you guys tonight, getting I, herself ready for next weekend. Hi, Rick. I keep turning up like a bad penny, huh? <laughs> yes, absolutely. <laughs> and, and now, this festival is going to be uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday of next weekend. Uh, and that's just action-packed with tons of movies being shown. That's and great. I was talking to you last night, and you said you've actually screened all of these films already yourself. Yes. Uh, we we receive films all throughout the year. This year we received about 300 horror films. We watch each one and judge it, and then we selected 40 of the 300 to show this uh, next weekend. And now these are generally all independently made films. They are all independently made. They are uh, a lot of them are low budget films. Some of the films were made by college students. Uh, last year we even had films by high school students that we accepted into the festival. Uh, some of the, I know one film uh, cost $200, and the director said that all that money went into T-shirts. <laughs> well, now, and I'm sure Penny can, can vouch for this as well, though, but when you have a limited budget to work with in a horror film, that's when you can create some of the uh, most interesting and most impressive scares because you can't spend money on the schlock and the gore and, and all that extra stuff, so you have to rely on a lot of the psychological horror. Do you, do you find that, you know, the the low-budget aspect takes away from the story, or do you think it actually makes it more challenging? Uh, I, I find that, uh, you know, uh, Stephen King once said it's the story and not he who tells it, and that uh, a great horror story can be told without spending a great deal of money and a great deal of uh, makeup or prosthetics or special effects or anything like that. But if you have a great spooky story that... To be afraid is, is just a concept in somebody's mind. So if you could sort of plant that seed of terror in someone's mind, you could do it without, you know, spending a lot of bucks. I mean, like I said, we, we have high school uh, films we've had from high school students and college students that uh, even though, you know, they were done cheaply, they resonate and they're effective and uh, people love watching them. And now when you try to bring all these films together for the festival, uh, do you try to pair them up uh, like, you know, zombie films with zombie films, vampire films with vampire films, or do you try to really give it a, a, a different mix at each location? Well, last year uh, we actually had a series of zombie shorts, a series of uh, thrillers, this and that. This year the judging was so tight that we, we pretty much took each film on its own merits. We weren't we didn't have the leverage to sort of uh, group them all together. This year, essentially, we had a great grouping of horror writers. Uh, we have uh, films uh, from uh, the writer Jack Ketchum, who I actually talked to earlier today, who wrote a book called Lost, 
we're filming, uh, screening that film. We have a story by H.P. Lovecraft, Call of Cthulhu. We have Edgar Allan Poe's Pit in the Pendulum. We have Richard Madison's uh, Blood Sun. So this year we're calling it uh, the script to scream, you know, sort of the, the writer's uh, interpretations on film. And that's pretty much the theme of uh, the films we're showing this year. And now there's three locations, uh, the, the Columbus Theater on Broadway in Providence, the Cable Car Cinema on South Main Street in Providence, and the University of Rhode Island's uh, Feinstein Providence campus. Mm-hmm. And about how many can you seat in each of these venues? Well, uh, the first two nights, uh, the first night we're going to be showing two films from Providence filmmakers at the Columbus Theater Cinematheque. It holds about 200 people. And that's going to be packed. Yeah. And then the second night... We're actually showing nine local films, uh, filmmakers from uh, uh, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, Rhode Island, uh, college student filmmakers. Uh, like I said earlier, one, one film called Camp Blood the Musical, uh, made by some people up in New Hampshire for about 200 bucks. But it's a great film. Uh, the last film we're showing, Bone Sickness, uh, has actually just been released and you could rent it Hollywood and Blockbuster videos. It was picked up by wide distribution, and it was made by a couple of guys from Attleboro. Yeah, but why rent it when you can go see it at the festival with everybody else and enjoy yeah. the group atmosphere and, of a and you can film. you can talk to the filmmakers. They'll be there. And the, 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 the wonders of going to a film festival is, you know, you get to see movies all the time, but to sit down and watch a movie and then the lights come up and the filmmakers and the stars are all sitting around you, it's a very unique experience. Now, I know when I go to a movie uh, and if I come out of the theater and I'm talking to my wife or other people that are coming out of the theater about what I just saw, I'm generally annoying people. You know, I can't believe the cinematography in that one or what, you know, the lighting in that one was especially chilling. And people tell me to shut up, but at a, at a film festival, everybody wants to talk about those aspects of the films. Oh, yeah. I mean, uh, whenever you go to a film festival, there's always clutches of people in the... Uh outside the front doors and all around the lobby uh, discussing things. Or they'll grab a hold of the filmmaker and they'll say, how'd you do that? What did it cost you? Uh, how are you able to make it? You know, what did you edit it on? What kind of camera? So it, it goes from everything to, you know, the basic things like, you know, how did you do it to, you know, some people have very technical questions. They want to know what kind of camera they use, uh, what kind of tape, what kind of uh, money they spend, what kind of lighting. And uh, it's it's incredible because if you go to enough of these things, it's like going to a film school, really, because you get to find out all these different avenues and venues of how filmmaking is done and how people are doing it now and sort of circumventing the traditional system. And when you bring together the filmmakers uh, and they're there to take uh, the criticisms of the praises for their films, I mean, do they... I know that everybody wants to go and show off their work, but I mean, is that one of the highlights for them to be able to be able to speak to true horror fans instead of just general film festival fans? Oh yeah, because to them especially, you know, their work. I mean, you make something, and to you it's good, but it really doesn't have a life until other people see it. When other people see it, and you see their emotions, you you have emotions vested in your own work. When you see other people investing their emotions into your work, it really brings the whole thing together, and you can really see the difference it makes for uh, a young filmmaker to sort of have, you know, just to have someone laugh at something that's funny or be scared at something that's scary, to know that your concept actually does affect people on, on an emotional level is uh, pretty much as satisfying as it gets, you know, especially 
for someone who who's just making his first film or just making a college film. How did, how did you come to be so involved with horror films? I mean, you seem like a pretty uh, pretty reserved guy. <laughs> uh, it was my sister's fault, actually. Uh, when I was very young, uh, my older sister started showing me horror films, and uh, it's been something I've been addicted to uh, most of my life. And uh, even now, you know, taking film criticism classes and uh, learning and understanding the whole concept of film over the years, I've always really enjoyed horror because I felt it was something that, you know, because people get very emotionally invested in horror films. And uh, it's almost like a sense memory. When you ask somebody, when was the first time you started Night of the Living Dead, it's almost like they say, oh, yeah, I remember that. I was 12 and it was, you know, midnight, it was Halloween. And it's very rare that people have that sort of recollection with any kind of movie, you know. If you ask somebody the first time they saw Chariots of Fire, they'll be like, I, I really have no idea. But if you ask them the first time, they saw Dawn of the Dead or uh, The Evil Dead or a film like that. They'll say, "Oh yeah, my my my, you know, my sister rented it, or my brother rented it, and I was terrified." And people have very fond memories of these films. You know, and, and, I'd like to interject. Ricardo has the most extensive knowledge of horror films of anyone I have ever met in my 700 years of existence. Wow, that that's a long time it's, it's, too. That's it's, it's impressive. It, now, is that uh, just encyclopedic knowledge? Is that uh, based on having a photographic memory, or have you just seen these movies again and again and again, so it's drilled into your mind? I, I would love to think I had a photographic memory. And, uh, no, I, I, I really do watch these things quite a bit. And uh, my wife, who, who is a grammar school teacher, laughs and says that, I, I, that she gets nightmares through, because uh, I usually watch them when she goes to sleep at night. And she says that she's uh, assimilating them as she's sleeping. But no, I, I, I watch quite a bit, actually, and I read periodicals and a lot of time on the Internet. And obviously now with judging them, I have to watch you know, films as I receive them. And uh, so I, 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 throughout the years, I've, I've accumulated quite a knowledge, I guess you could say, for it. Have you ever delved into your own filmmaking, uh, your own horror films? Or? Yeah, I've, I've, made a, I've made a few short things. I, I, I uh, work at Bristol Community College. And students often, and I work at the television station there for community television. Students often come up to me and say, "You know, let's make a horror film. Let's do this. Let's do that." So we've done a lot of different little shorts. I made my first horror film when I was about, uh, I think I was 14 years old or something like that, sometime in the 80s, when I was able to steal away someone's video camera long enough to go out with my friends and, you know, put a bunch of uh, spirit gum all over them and turn them into zombies. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that is uh, that's the general idea of how most people get involved in these horror films is by making them. I remember I used to put, uh, I used to get uh, toilet paper, white toilet paper, and I used to wet it in clumps and get it to stick to my face, and that would be like my melting face uh, effect that I used to, used to scare my sisters. And you know, that's a lot of what uh, inspired a lot of these filmmakers. So, oh, and so, if you want to check out these films, uh, Thursday, Friday. Saturday and Sunday of next week. Uh, all you have to do is, uh, what's the website again, Rick, for the film it's festival? www.rifilmfest.org. And if you go there, there's a complete list of movies. They have some synopsis of uh, each title, uh, what time it's going to be showing, how long it is, so you can plan what films that you want to see. And, and of course, uh, our own Matt Koss is heading down uh, as well 
uh, he'll be running around and with with a hatchet. Are you gonna have that? No hatchets this time. No hatchets. Okay. So, but if you would Not like to, <laughs> if you would like to join Matt Costa and and win yourself a pair of passes to the entire weekend's festivities, then uh, all you have to do is give us a call here at Spooky South Coast. Uh, be the First caller to correctly answer this question, and you mentioned Night of the Living Dead uh, a little while ago, the, the classic zombie horror film. How many nights did it take to film that movie? And if you know the correct answer, give us a call, 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, and you can win yourself uh, a pair of passes to all three nights of the film festival. So what we'll do is we will take a break. Thank you, Rick, for joining us. Thank you. We wish you the best of luck. And on the other side, we will talk to John Horrigan of the Mass uh, Monster Mash and the Massachusetts MUFON conferences. So stay tuned here on Spooky South Coast. Monsters today that such horrors. Why did you remind me? The uh, <laughs> John Shuck is Herman Munster, and and I can't remember the rest of the cast. Monsters and colors. Oh, it was uh, it was uh, pretty much. You know what it was? Is after Monster Go Home, and just the Monsters franchise went downhill. Yes, yes. But anyway, that's uh, that's beside the point because they're not going to be screening the monsters. I don't think at at the Rhode Island Horror Film Festival, nor will they be screening it at the Mass Monster Mash conference. Although who knows? You know, there may be a Frankenstein or two uh, wandering around. And we have with us John Horgan, the uh, organizer of that conference. How are you tonight, John? Hello. Hi. How are you? Hi, Tim. How are you? I'm very well. I'm spectacular, as we like to say here. Yeah. Now you have put together uh, an extremely just amazing conference here, uh, something that Massachusetts has kind of been lacking. Uh, what was it that made you come up with the idea of putting together uh, such a great conference? Well, in a roundabout manner, I'm a dissenting member of MUFON. I have been for over a dozen years, and I decided to get involved with Mass MUFON. And uh, I like the way that they're taking uh, this chapter forward. And discussion was bandied about about making a UFO conference. So I reserved a date on Saturday, October 14th at Hibernian Hall. Being a member of the Hibernians, I got a really nice rate. And I had taken a trip out to Kecksburg, Pennsylvania in December of, of, of uh, last year. It was the 40th anniversary, and I went out there. I met Stan Gordon, Leslie Kane, Bud Hopkins. And Stan said, hey, I'd love to come back to Boston. I said, what I can do. So the long and short of it was that uh, Stan was available, and we plugged him for Saturday. So, Tim, I saw Friday the 13th sitting right there in front of me. I couldn't <laughs> let that pass. So I said, i got to grab another night, and i got to make it cryptozoologic and, and ghost uh, in nature. And that's when I came up with the mass monster. Master Whim and my wife Jenny designed the logo. So 
Stan Gordon came back and said, I can do another. I'm writing a new book about this UFO Bigfoot flap in Westmoreland, Pennsylvania from 1973. And I said, cool. And I listened to South, Spooky South Coast, and I saw that you have Chris Pittman and Chris Balzano on. Then there you go. you got a show, buddy. You know. And, and you really couldn't find uh, two people that have devoted more time to the subject of the Bridgewater Triangle uh, in terms of just getting down to the bottom of the mysteries, but also documenting other people's experiences as well. I mean, too many times you'll get somebody that's a quote-unquote expert, and you know we say there are no experts, but you get an authority on the Bridgewater Triangle. They just want to tell you about their own experiences. These are two guys who can tell you all of the reports that have come out of this area. Not only that, they've received some wild emails from different <laughs> people that have experienced stuff that will just knock your socks off. Have you been in the Triangle yourself? I went to school there, Bridgewater State. I lived oh. in Easton, and, and I think, and again, I'm not sure that I might have had a puma sighting in uh, northeastern across a field. I thought I saw a cougar, and that was my paranormal experience. Well, there's uh, Bridgewater State College has a long history of hauntings and uh, paranormal activity there, so it's just it's it's kind of like the the center point of a lot of that stuff that that happens there. Now, when when you are having this conference, uh, what have you designed in terms of the itinerary? Is it going to be? I know that you're going to present uh, Aaron's film uh, inside the Bridgewater Triangle. Correct, and and again, uh, had it not been for Spooky South Coast, I would have never found uh, Christopher, Chris, or Aaron. We're going to open up with Aaron's uh, film inside the Bridgewater Triangle. I haven't seen it. I've heard great things about it. I think the film will speak for itself uh, with all the interviews of people, including Mr. DeAndre, Joe DeAndre, the um, the grandfather or the godfather of, of the Triangle, I should say. Um, and then from there, I'll bring up um, Chris Pittman. Um, to field a few questions, speak on some of his emails, uh, and then from there we move to Chris Balzano, who's in doing a speech entitled Expanding the Bridgewater Triangle. He's going to talk about one of my favorites, the red-headed hitchhiker of Route 44. Um, and then from there, if we have time, we're going to do trivia. If not, we'll go to a break and come back with Stan Gordon, and he'll cap it off on that Friday the 13th show. And, and for those who are unfamiliar with the Bridgewater Triangle, I mean, we've alluded to it uh, in a lot of our recent episodes, and uh, it, it was one of our earliest shows, and it was something that we had been unfamiliar with, really, until we came into this program, uh, Matt Costa and myself, and once we heard it, A, it was extremely incredible, and B, a lot of the stories that have been coming out of this area started to really make sense. Yeah, and and again, everybody's pointing back to King Philip's War and um, the the massacres that took place from 1675 through 1676. I'm an ardent historian myself. I I study um, explorers, conquistadors, and weather. But uh, Aaron is an expert. He's making a documentary right now. Uh, we may see a teaser about King King Philip's War. And both uh, Pittman and, and um, Balzano know their stuff in terms of that war. Absolutely. And then uh, on the next night when uh, you shift gears to MUFON, uh, and as you said, it's been a while since MUFON's really been able to put on something like this in Massachusetts. Has the increase, uh, has there been an increase in UFO sightings in Massachusetts that you're aware of? Um, I only became aware of them through Greg Berghorn, the director and the deputy director, Mark Petty. Um, but quite frankly, I love the history of it more than the recent sightings. I couldn't care less about recent sightings. I like the, the ones that were were not tainted by the press or by television or stretched out of proportion over the years. So um, Greg Berghorn, the director, has a case um, about an alleged crop circle out in Palmer, Mass. So that's a great little um, speech he's going to put on. Then Mark Petty, who had a bizarre experience himself on a plane, he's going to do one about Adam and Eve, a, a couple that uh, might have been or claimed to have been abducted by aliens. And then Stan Gordon will cap it off with the classic Kecksburg tale. 
Allen. You're familiar with that. Oh, yes. And, and Matt Moniz will be there as well. Uh, he has a lot of experience investigating crop circles. So uh, Yeah, I'm very interested in this one that you said is around here. Yeah, Palmer, which is out towards UMass, Matt. How, how are you? Nice to speak to you. Pleasure. Uh, and I know that you had uh, a chance to analyze soil samples from the famed Rendlesham Forest Bentwaters incident. Oh, that's correct. Would you like me to bring the samples with me? Oh, that would be wild. Yes, indeed. Indeed. Do we bring a Geiger counter map or are we cool? No, we're cool. Okay, good, good. <laughs> I, I, I have a legend on, on the table. We're going to have an exhibit table, Tim. And um, that's great, Matt. That, that's cool that you can bring that. I'm going to have a legend flying saucer crash debris from Cape Girardeau, Missouri from 1941. Um, and the MUFON one. And I'll also have an I-beam that Jesse Marcel Jr. Uh, gave to me, a plastic I-beam, which is a, a replica of the um, Roswell balloon crash. So, <laughs> Uh, Quote unquote balloon crash. Yeah, you know, I don't know who to believe. It's you know from that one, and um, there'll be other things involved. We're gonna have Tom D'Agostino, who wrote the book Haunted Rhode Island, and he's working on Haunted Massachusetts. He will be there on Friday night. Um, Jeff um, Bellinger, the uh, esteemed writer and uh, webmaster from GhostVillage.com, may drop by. Um, he wants to be very discreet about it. He's not speaking. Um, I, I'm trying to get him to commit to next year. We will have one next year. Um, but uh, it's going to be fun. And, you know, my wife, Jenny, has worked so hard on this. She's put posters up all over Boston. We've hit every major website. Some of the major newspapers, you'd be surprised, haven't given us any ink. But, hey, it's still early. Um, and we hope that uh, we can raise enough money that I can donate some to charity. I have a ton of envelopes I receive in the mail, you know, the ones that stick a nickel to them, and I feel guilty. I can't throw them out. i got to send something back, but we're in tough times now, and maybe we can make a difference with a little paranormal conference. Well, absolutely, and maybe if that difference does come from people that are uh, investigating the paranormal and interested in the paranormal, it might make uh, skeptics a little bit more willing to listen. I mean, looking at your some, some of your experiences, uh, I mean, you've been involved in this. You're not one of these, uh, you know, these fly-by-night operations that are popping up now that say, ooh, you know, Ghost Hunters is popular, UFO programs on the Sci-Fi Channel and History Channel are popular. Let's see if I can find a way to turn a nickel for this. That's not what you're doing at all. No. You're just trying to take some of your interest and in, in your experience and bringing together some of these uh, people with a lot of information to share and presenting it to a Massachusetts audience, and it'd be a shame if they missed out. I agree, and we're all huddling up. We don't even know each other, but we trust each other. And, and too often you see in this field the infight and the, the, the purse clawing, and, and you know, it just gets to be ridiculous. And I've been investigating this. I've just finished paying off my credit cards over the past few years from all my trips to Loch Ness, um, to Roswell, to Gulf Breeze, to Shag Harbor, to Kecksburg, to Edwards Air Force Base, to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, San Luis Valley. Um, you know, I've been around the country, around the world, but I've never had a chance to sit down or, and write about it. I've, I've kind of been gun-shy. You know, I've just been doing my investigations on the side. And uh, some reporter printed my name in a Pittsburgh Gazette, and that kind of blew my cover, so I decided, well, maybe I should come a little, be a little more forthright with MUFON and tell them you know, where I've been and what I've done. And also, it's important to point out that you don't go out on these investigations as, you know, somebody uh, that's uh, a total believer and willing to accept, accept everything that comes your way. I mean, you've 
kind of uh, discredited, at least in, in your research, a lot of these uh, quote-unquote paranormal events. Yeah, um, I think, uh, you know, Roswell, it depends on what day, and I believe, I don't believe Glenn Dennis, the mortician story now, the one who started as he was in the hospital and was chased out by some some redheaded captain, I think it's an embellishment. Uh, I don't believe Frankie Rowe, the woman who cries on demand from Roswell, um, Ragsdale was lying. I can go on and on and rail about that. I do believe that there was an incident in Shag Harbor, Nova Scotia, for instance. Um, they claimed that a UFO plummeted into the harbor, and I was up there in 2003 and met with Don Ledger and Chris Stiles. And then there was an incident off the coast of Shelburne, and I'm convinced it was a strategic air command base, but that was a, a, a Soviet, Soviet sub that was thinking, that was trawling, that was probing. And you, they don't want to hear that, but I hope to bring Chris Stiles and Don Ledger next year down to Boston to, to tell about Shag Harbor. That's my next endeavor. And it, does, it, it is a shame, though, that... Uh over the last few years, so many people that wanted to attend these conferences and, and hear some of these speakers have had to travel, you know, at least as far down as New Jersey, Pennsylvania, uh, maybe New York if you're lucky, but to be able to bring it here to this area where there are so many researchers that just haven't had a common event like this to all attend. Yeah, and I think you have to agree with me that in terms of ghost researchers in New England, um, there is no greater gathering around the world. Oh, I'd, I'd like to see somebody challenge me. That. You have some of the outstanding capers, um, taps, um, Belzano. You got uh, uh, Bellinger. Um, on and on and on. So uh, I have a rich resource pool. John's office. Yes. Yeah, I mean, to, to think of how many uh, of these authorities live here and you know have to travel these distances and incur these costs and to be able to talk to their own home audience and you know it's one thing if you are a John Zaffis or, or a Chris Balzano or Derek Bartlett and you're going to go to all these conferences and listen to all these people talk in these other areas about what they've experienced it's another thing when you hear from people that live right in your own backyard and can share the stories that kind of corroborate what you've uh, experienced out in the field that's right. And uh, I'm not one for the New Age stuff, i got to tell you up front. Um, I like cryptozoology, UFOlogy, and just Fortean stuff. I, I eat up Fortean stuff. And uh, that's why I'm studying the weather right now, fish falls and, and strange days, etc. But um, you're right. And um, I think that Chris Pittman is, is a Fortean um, paranormalist, a folklorist, he calls himself. He looks into everything, whereas some of the others just specialize in a certain field, whether it be ghosts or cryptozoology or ufology, and that's another thing that intrigues me about Chris. Um, and we've made some great recordings, by the way, that are hanging out now at www.massmonstermash.com and massmonstermash.org. If you go to the interviews section, we've hung 20 interviews. Uh, Steve, produ uh, Steve Russo, a friend of mine, produced these. They're hanging there. And get them while you can, because I'm going to take them down right after the monster they're up there for free right now. So Excellent. And we, and we will put links up to uh, the websites on SpookySouthCoast.com tomorrow. Uh, also, if you want to learn more about the UFO conference, that's at UFOshow.org. Uh, again, so these are uh, Friday, October 13th and uh, Saturday, October 14th at the Hibernian Hall in Watertown. If you want to attend these two conferences, we're actually going to give away uh, some passes right now uh, here on Spooky South Coast as we head up against the end of the show here. So uh, what we will do is we will thank you, John, for joining us. Thank you. And uh, Matt Moniz will be there to personally thank you. And uh, hopefully if, if Matt Koss and I can sneak away, we'll check in as well. Great. We, we thank you for joining us, and thank you for putting on such a great uh, event right here in our own backyard. Thank you, guys. All right, thank take you, Best John. of luck. Okay, good night. Bye. And so that is John Horrigan, the... Uh,
organizer of the Mass Monster Mash and the Mass MUFON Conference. So if you would like to attend, we have passes to give away to you. And uh, why not? You know, if, if you're just getting into this field and, and you're skeptical and you want to find out a little bit more information, there'll be plenty of great people there to talk to. If you are a firm believer and you want to find out a little bit more as well, you know, Chris Pittman, Chris Balzano, uh, Aaron Kadju, I think we should uh, make Aaron honorary like the third Chris. You know, to, to be part of that trio. And, of course, our science advisor, Matt Moniz, will be there as well. Uh, he'll be there to talk to you and answer your questions as well. We have two sets of two passes for each night of the conference. If you Two passes, uh, two sets of two passes for each night. So you and a friend can go to both the Mass Monster Mash on Friday night and the Mass uh, MUFON Conference on, on Saturday night. I'm sorry, reverse that. And also, we still have those passes to give away to the Rhode Island Horror Film Festival. So uh, what you can do is, if you want to, uh, give us a call. When we go off the air at 508-996-0500, 508-291-0500, we will give them away to the first people to call in asking for them. Uh, And if not, because it is kind of late and people might not have stayed up all the way through the end, we will give them away on our website tomorrow, SpookySouthCoast.com, if they are still in our possession. So. And Penny Dreadful, we thank you for joining us. We don't have to give you any passes to the Rhode Island Horror Film Festival because you're going to be there. That's right. We're going to be lurking about the Rhode Island Horror Film Festival for the, the four days of the event. And on Sunday, we're going to, if, you have, if you have kids, bring the kiddies out to watch uh, some fun, spooky movies. Not, not too scary, but, but fun for kids. A, play, uh, a Ray Harryhausen Pit and the Pendulum adaptation. Uh-huh. This is really cool. Uh, so come on down. We're going to show Call of Cthulhu, and we'll be giving out prizes, Zombie the Board Game, and Teddy Scares for the kids. So come on down. And uh, don't forget, too, uh, there's plenty of other great Halloween month activities uh, taking place. We will keep you up to date with all of them on SpookySouthCoast.com, as well as we'll send out some MySpace bulletins as well if you want to join up there, MySpace.com slash SpookySouthCoast. We'll make sure we let you know about every conference coming up, every uh, uh, attraction that you can visit, all these amusement park, theme park things that are going on. That's the place to go for all your Halloween planning. So for Matt Costa, for Matt Moniz, for Penny Dreadful, and for all of our great guests, this is Tim Weisberg. We want you all to stay spooktacular, everybody. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy. Accessible, then. What you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again. Tomorrow, 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 tomorrow. I know the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen.
Whose motorcycle is this? It's a chopper, baby. Whose chopper is this? Zed's. Who's Zed? Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead.